uh, the, the first stanzas as I'm pressing on the upward way, new heights I'm gaining every day. And for us as Christians, we should be moving along with the Lord. We should be progressing in the kingdom of God. And I, I pray this song, I've prayed this since I've been a Christian. I was a, saved probably a couple of years and was introduced to this particular hymn. And I always pray this song when I sing it, that the Lord would cause me to continue to walk and to reach a higher plane, a higher ground. And that should be the desire upon our hearts as Christians. Today I want to go to 1 Corinthians, and I'm hoping to get to the, the one verse here we'll see that Paul the Apostle had upon his heart the welfare of the churches. And in particular here, the Corinthian church, he wanted them to go to a higher place, to a higher ground. There were things occurring in the church that caused them to stop in their growth, uh, things that occurred within the individuals that stopped them from continuing on and pressing on to the higher ground that the Lord wanted to take them to. And we'll get to that, but what I want to do is just look at some words in some of these verses. Because as I was reading this, which happens to me many times, certain words will come out and, and they, they take the central area of verse. To, if you look at the, at the verse and you see a couple key words... And I like to go in and look at those words because many times the words, there are various meanings to them, and sometimes you can get a better feel for what's being said in the verse. So let's start with verse 4. I thank my God always concerning you for the grace of God which was given to you by Jesus Christ. The grace of God. Come to that in a little bit that you were enriched in everything by him. And the context here, when he talks about the enrichment here, the context is the spiritual gifts. Look at verse 7. So that you come, uh, so that you come short in no gift. No gift. And then he goes on uh, in verse 5 that you were enriched in everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge. But the enrichment of Christ uh, is for everything in your life, every area of your life, uh, not just the gifts, although it would be nice that the Lord would come and we would be open for him to enrich us with gifts that operate in the church. And what I mean, the gifts of utterance, prophecy, uh, message in tongues, interpretation of tongues, you know, gifts of healings, and, and so forth. But anyway, Paul is saying that you have been enriched. Now, let's look at a couple verses here. The basic meaning of the word, and there's other meanings also, is that you, you are richly furnished in... Romans 9. Sometimes I think we don't really comprehend much of how the Lord has enriched our lives. 
Now, when we were born again, we came in, we were saved, we moved into the kingdom, but as you well know, there are many different kingdom principles, and if we begin to function and move according to kingdom principles, then the blessing or the enrichment that the Lord wants in your life will begin and will continue. So the Lord has called us. There's different meanings and different things in the Bible related to the call. The call is, is just not one thing. But he has called us to become like him. He has called us to be enriched. And as we as Christians walk with him in his will and his purpose for our lives, uh, with his will and purpose in the body that we, we're in here, uh, the church we're in, then the enrichment process begins and the enrichment process continues. We were not just called to go to heaven, to be born into the kingdom, and then that's it, then just go to heaven the way we were or the way we are. Uh, many have that view that, you know, after you're saved, there's not much more. You know, you're saved and the goal is heaven. But the goal in the Bible is never heaven. The, the goal is being transformed. The goal is metamorpho in the Greek. That is to be changed. The, the goal is to be changed into the image of Christ to some degree. And for, for that to happen, for us to be enriched, it will take the Spirit of God working in our lives, and it will take something from you and I to walk in the way. We must walk in the way. If we do not walk in the way, then the enrichment that Paul talks about here will not occur uh, to the degree, maybe, that the Lord would, would like that. In Romans 9, verse, I must have a wrong scripture here. Oh, here it is. Verse 23. Well, let's go back to verse 22. What if God, wanting to show his wrath and to make his power known, endured with much long suffering the vessels of wrath prepared for destruction? So God puts up with people who blaspheme his name daily. He puts up with that. And that he might make known the riches of his glory on the vessels of mercy, which, were, which he had prepared before for glory, so that he might make known, he wants to make known the riches of his glory toward you. Or you could say, that he wants to place his glory within you. And when you have his glory in you, you will begin to understand richness. You'll begin to understand uh, the riches of his glory. Why the Lord would choose to take a portion of his glory and put it in, in me and to put it in you. It's, it's, to me, it's mind-boggling. It's mind-boggling. Why he would do that, but he does it. 
to enrich you far beyond what you ever could possibly dream could be possible. That's the work of Christ. But remember, we must walk with him. We must not allow the enemy to deceive us, to sidetrack us, to take us into a place in spirit where we think may be okay, but yet we, in that place we will lack the moving and the work of the spirit in our lives to bring about the enrichment that he, he desires. So back in Corinthians here, so that you were enriched in, in everything by him. And if you look in your life, you know, how many areas of your life have been enriched by the Lord? You know, some of them we can see, some of them we don't even know. We don't, we don't see, we don't perceive them. We don't know, we don't, we don't understand them. There are things that are just hidden to us of the grace of God and what he's done. I mean, we can see the grace of God in certain areas of our life and where it has taken us from to. But there's another aspect of the grace of God that we don't even see and we don't perceive for the most part. And and the, the Lord just does certain things. You know, he provides certain things for us. And he doesn't really, he's not too concerned if we recognize it or not. It's just like as a parent, and you have a young child, and you do this for the child and that for the child. You do a lot for the child. The child doesn't know. The child doesn't perceive because they're just you know, kind of in their own world, and that's, that's it. And they don't see these things until maybe whenever they have children, and they start doing for the child, and the child, they know that the child doesn't understand different things that they're doing, and that's the way the Lord is. He sheds his grace out for you and I, and many of the times we don't see. Uh, verse 6. Now let's look at one more, a couple more verses in Ephesians real quick before we go to the next verse. Ephesians 1, verse 7. In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of his grace. Riches of his grace. Verse uh, 18. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the, the glory of his inheritance in the saints. So let me read this again. That you might know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of his glory in the saints. The riches of his glory in you. <laughs> Quite something. Chapter 3, verse 16. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through his spirit in the inner man. So the strength that we receive, uh, the might that we receive in the inner man is through the riches of his glory, Paul says. That, that's, that's what he's saying, the riches of his glory, that you would be strengthened. So that whenever he, he, he brings to you and I the enrichment, he brings to you and I 
the glory, that that is going to be a source of strength for you and I. Um, Strengthen, it's going to be might in the inner man. Okay, and one more verse, and we'll continue on here. Verse 8. To me, who am less than least of all the saints, this grace was given that I should preach among the, the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. That means that it cannot be comprehended. We see little glimpses of the riches of his glory and the riches of his grace, but we don't comprehend, it's impossible for us to comprehend the riches of Christ. Christ is so rich that he has enough to give you, 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 and all the other people that come to him and walk with him that are in the world. How rich is he? The riches, the unsearchable riches. I think that Paul is saying that you can't understand that You can't comprehend it because it's so vast and so deep. We're just catching a little bit of it. We're seeing a little bit of it. But someday, that is going to be opened up to us. I don't believe that we could see and comprehend that today in in our physical bodies. If we would see the glory of Christ, you know, if we would see that in its fullness, we would not be able to... To, to stand, to live, we, we wouldn't be able, we couldn't take it physically. Has the Spirit of God ever come upon you in such a way to where you thought your heart was going to explode in your chest, to where you were just so physically, I don't want to say exhausted, but to where you physically could not stand on your feet? And that's just the presence of the Lord coming here and now. I've experienced that, where I could not stand on my feet and I hit the floor. <laughs> and, that's, and I stiffened myself because I, I said, I'm not going to fall. And after about 10 minutes of struggle, I gave up. And, went down. and getting up was physically, felt totally physically drained afterwards was really good. But the point being is that we couldn't see the Lord in his fullness, in his glory now in these physical bodies. But see, someday we will. And when we see that, it's going to be wide and deeper than anything we've ever seen. Okay, back in uh, 1 Corinthians, that... Verse 5, that you were enriched in every, everything by him in all utterance and all knowledge, even as the testimony of Christ was confirmed in you. So the testimony or the witness of Christ was confirmed or established in you. See, you were born again, you started to walk with God, and the, um, the testimony of Christ or that which he has done in you was confirmed or established in you. And he says here, if you go back now, he's saying that 
as the testimony of Christ was established in your life, so should this enrichment, you should be enriched in everything in him. See, that should be established the same, or it should be something alike that, that it's established also in you. So that walking as a Christian is just not about getting up and coming to church, reading your Bible and praying, and the things that are good. It's far more than that. It's far beyond that. So that as we walk with him uh, in whatever it is that we are to walk in and move in, then in that place, we will not only be established in the testimony of Jesus Christ, but we will be established in this enrichment process to bring us along to a place where the Lord has desired us to to go to. And and that's to be an ongoing process in this life. Uh, Verse 7 here. So that... You, uh, you come short in no gift, for, and of course, once again, he's talking about the gifts, uh, not just the spiritual gifts in, in chapter 12 and 13, but that you would not be falling short of whatever it is the Lord wants to give you, whatever it is he wants to put in you that you would not fall short of that, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now this word here, translated revelation here in this verse, is apocalypsis. And if you study the word, the Greek word apocalypsis, you will find that it's used to show in verses, and we'll look at a couple, uh, Revelation, or something that is brought to you in understanding uh, of truth that is brought to you personally. Apocalypse also means the coming of the Lord to you personally, as it's in a few epistles. Uh, And also, it means the coming of the Lord, the second coming of the Lord. So, the verse will determine... The, the context or the, the word as it's used, the, the meaning of that, whether it means a personal revelation or a, an apocalypsis to you or the apocalypsis where Jesus Christ comes back. Now, in 1 Corinthians 14, to have revelation, apocalypsis, Verse 26, how is it then, brethren, when you come together, each of you has a psalm, has a teaching, has a tongue, has a revelation, has an apocalypsis, has an interpretation that all things be done uh, for edifying. Uh, Let's go to 2 Corinthians 12. Apocalypse just means manifestation. It means uh, an appearance. 
And then I wrote this down here. It means a disclosure of truth concerning things before unknown. See, so there are certain things that you do not know. And as you walk with the Lord and you, you move with Him in, in, in your life, in His purpose for you, whatever that may be, as you move and walk with Him, He will come and give you an apocalypsis. He will reveal to you truth that was unknown to you before. And that can be through your personal study of the Word. It can be through some message. It can be as you're out and about, He can come in a way and, and reveal something to you. I remember one time I was rock climbing years ago, and I was on this you know, rock ledge, and there was nothing, nothing. It was just rock. And I was climbing up, and there was this teeny little ledge about an inch, and it ran about eight or ten feet. And when I, when I got there, and I, I had standing on some small footholds, and when I hoisted myself up, there was a teeny little flower. I don't know how the thing grew there. Nobody could see it. Nobody knew it was there, and I took that as the Lord planting that thing there for me to see at that time, and it was just like, just the Lord revealed some things to me. And so the Lord can do, bring an apocalypsis, some truth to you at work, at church, at home. It's something that you did not know, some truth that, that was unknown to you before, and then the Lord opens that up and shows that to you. In 2 Corinthians 12, and so the, the verse in uh, chapter tw uh, 14 we read is talking about a personal revelation. This here also is too. Verse 7, <clears throat> And lest I should be exalted, this is Paul, above measure by the abundance of revelations, apocalypses that he had from the Lord. A thorn in the flesh was given me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. So this is, he's talking about personal revelation. That's how the word is used here. Um, now back in 1 Corinthians, We'll come back to the word in a minute in uh, verse 7. But go to chapter 2. Verse 9. But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, nor have entered into the heart of man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We quote that scripture all the time. But the next verse here, listen to what it says. But God has revealed them to us through his spirit. Now, let me just bear with me here for a second. Uh, this word here has revealed. There, in the English, you have different tenses. You have present tense, past tense, future tense. So you are sitting here. That's present tense. And then you talk later on today, I sat in church, 
That's past tense. Future tense, next week I will sit in church. And the Greek has those, and it has imperfect tense, and it has other, some other tenses. It has this tense called the aorist tense. And the aorist tense is, I'll, I wrote it down here, so I'll explain it to you the best I can. There is no English equivalent to this tense. And so a lot of the verses in the Bible that use this aorist tense are simply uh, interpreted or translated, I mean, translated in past tense. But that's not what it is in the Greek. The aorist tense is characterized by the emphasis on punctual action. The concept of the verb is considered without regard to past, present, or future. So when you read this verse here, Verse 10, but God, I was trying to think of how you could word this verse to reflect the aorist tense. And you could say, but God reveal them to us. But even reveal would be kind of like present tense. But it's not has revealed is the point. This, this can be past, present, future. It's not just past. He has revealed. So, in other words, the action could have occurred in the past, it could have occurred in the present, it can be an ending thing, or it can be a beginning thing, it can be a future thing. So the aorist tense doesn't deal with any of that. It just makes the statement that it happened. So, God reveal what? What the eye has not seen, ear has not heard, or we didn't even comprehend. It hasn't entered into the heart of man, what God has prepared. But see, he, he can reveal that. He can give you an apocalypsis of that. He could have in the past. He can now. He can in the future. He can do that anytime. Anytime. And, and when he does then you will begin to understand, you will, you will begin to see what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, what has not been revealed to the heart of man. You will have an apocalypsis to understand that which is revealed, that which is apocalypsis. Well, how do I do that? You, no effort on your part or my, my part can bring revelation. But walking with him and focusing upon him is key because now the Lord can do what he wants. He, can, he has free reign to bring to you and I whatever he wants and, you know, we'll see it. it just, it'll just be there. Wow. You know, wow, wow. Just jumped off the page. Well, the words don't jump off the page. You know, they're, in, they're ink, they're set in the page. What happens <laughs> is the Spirit of God breathes on something and gives you a revelation concerning something. And as I said, it doesn't necessarily mean from the Bible. You know, Paul got, Paul had, actually, Paul was pretty steeped in the Scriptures, you know. That's why the Lord could use him the way he did. 
to write the way, way he did. He, he was a learned man. He wasn't ignorant. Misguided in the Jews' religion, but still, he knew the scriptures, and because he knew them, the Lord can use him. Okay, um, let's go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Verse 8. Well, let's go back to verse 7. So that you, um, that you come short in no gift, eagerly waiting for the revelation of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the context here is probably meaning the second coming of the Lord, because he says, who will also confirm you to the end. So I'm not sure about that. Um, that you may be blameless. Now, this is the end. That you may be blameless in the day of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that means unaccused, uh, cannot be accused of any wrong. There's an interesting thought I'll just give you. If you and I today can walk with the Lord, and if we continue to walk with God in our present circumstance, and um, what I mean by that is, as you move in maybe an unpleasant circumstance, and you react to the Lord correctly, you react to people correctly in that, and you walk with him in that whole thing, once you come out of your circumstance that you're in today, and the circumstance always changed, there will be no regrets. You will never have to Turn back like people. You hear people do this all the time, especially when they're approaching death. They'll turn back and say, I wish I would have done this. I wish I would have done this in my life. I wish I would have done that. There will be no regrets, and you will be, as the Scripture says here, blameless. Blameless. Why? Because you walked with God daily, and instead of going in your own will and way, you stayed where he wanted you, and you walked with him. And you become blameless. You can't be accused of any wrong. Verse 9. God is faithful by whom you were called into the fellowship of his son. So that is one of the greatest calls that we will ever receive, and that is the call to fellowship with his son. The Bible mentions various calls, if you will. We're called to salvation. We're, you know, the invitation, we're invited, it was sent forth. We were called out of darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light. Uh, Paul says this several times. We are called to be saints. Say, well, I thought I was. Called to be consecrated, called to be set apart, called to be pure. See, it's not just being saved and that's it. You are called to be consecrated. Called to be pure, called to be holy, called to walk with him. Called to allow him to work in your life. And then we're called to be conformed into the image of Christ. That, that doesn't say anything there about heaven. 
Now, if you're conformed to the image of Christ, there's nowhere in this universe for you to go when you die but to heaven. So you don't have to worry about heaven. You see, we're called to be conformed to Christ according to his purpose, being conformed to him. And then he mentions being called unto liberty, called unto peace, called unto his kingdom, called unto his to his eternal glory. And then I think it's Peter says that we are called to glory and virtue. Glory and virtue. See, there's, there's a calling that many Christians miss. And that is to virtue. So that his virtues, through your walking with him, a little bit at a time, are brought to you and placed in you. See, there's nothing that you can do to do that yourself. So you cannot add one cubit to your stature. But if you walk with God, he does the adding. No. Add virtue, you know, as it says in Peter. Knowledge and so forth. Okay, let's go to verse 11. I want to show you something before we run out of time. Now, Paul had a second missionary. On his second missionary journey, Paul established the church at Corinth. On his third missionary journey, he was in Ephesus, and they believe he was there two to three years. So while he's in Ephesus, he receives word about the Corinthian church that there's problems in the Corinthian church, there's division and there's quarreling, and spiritually they, they are having problems, you know, and, and things need to be taken care of. So Paul writes this, this letter. In verse 11, For it has been declared to me concerning you, my brethren, by those of Chloe's household, that there are contentions among you. Now I say this, that each of you says, I am of Paul, or I am of Apollos, or I am of Cephas, or I am of Christ. Is Christ divided? Was Paul crucified for you? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? This is something that is common many times with Christians, to where Christians have this opinion, well, I like the preaching of this individual, but I'm not too, you know, fond of the preaching of this individual, or I like the way this person says it or does it, but I'm not too happy with the way they say it and do it. Or I like the other person that sits in the pew for them to come up, and so on and so forth. And you even hear this with Christians when it comes to who they like um, on TV or radio and what have you. And I, I say this, and I believe this is what Paul is saying, that what is coming of the Spirit of God through an individual, regardless of the vessel, whether the person can speak well or they can't, whether the person stumbles over their words or they can't, or they don't, 
whether a person is like Apollos, who they believe was a great orator, speaking, you know, I remember years ago um, going in this one church, and I sat in Sunday school, and this man got up, he was one of the leaders in the church, and he was teaching, and I was like, wow, man, this guy really can teach. And as far as the people that I have heard, you know, as a younger Christian, I thought, man, even the people on TV can't compare to this guy. This guy really could speak, you know, the elegant words and, you know, the great vocabulary, but he wasn't drowning you in words you didn't know. And he was just so eloquent. And later on, some months later, he was one of the individuals that spearheaded a division in the church. So the point being this, you and I are to receive from the Spirit of God regardless of the vessel. So I don't, I'm not of Paul, I'm not of Apollos, I'm not of Cephas, I'm not of this person who preaches or that person to preach. I am sitting and listening for the Spirit of God and, and regardless of the vessel, I will receive of him. So if a Christian has that view, Paul says that, look at chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. Uh, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. Where is it here? Verse 4, or verse 3. For you are still carnal, for, for where there are envy, strife, and division among you, you are carnal and behave like mere men. For when one says, I am a Paul, and another, I am a Paulist, are you not carnal? So a Christian that has that view, well, I like this person, you know, preaching, and not this person in the church, then Paul says very clearly, they are carnal. They're carnal. So it's not about the vessel. It's about what's coming from the Spirit of God. Everybody is gifted differently. And, you know, we aren't to have, so to speak, favorites. We're to hear, listen for the voice of the Spirit, because that's the important thing. Now, back in chapter 1, Paul says in verse 10, Now I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you all speak the same thing, that there be no divisions among you, but that you uh, be perfectly joined together in the same mind and in the same judgment. How can you have in a church everybody speak the same thing, everybody have the same mind and the same judgment? See, they were saying, I'm a Paul, that's the context, I'm a Paul, I'm a Paulist. Speak the same thing. There is an answer to carnality in the church, and it's seen in verse 10. There's an answer to this whole thing of division among people, brethren, and it's seen here in verse 10. But it's, it's not 
readily seen. But the Lord always has the answer for what's going on in our hearts and in our lives and in the church. Now, let's read this verse again. Now, I plead with you, brethren, by the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. The word name in the New Testament and in the Old Testament, the basic meaning, and if you look it up in Strong's, you'll see this, the word name means authority and character. So that... If these in the Corinthian church or in any local church have the character or are open to the Spirit of God placing the character of the Lord in them, or if that is the process that is going on in your life, in my life, in whosoever life, where you have the character of Christ that is being built within the individual, then that will quell the divisions, that will quell all the quarrels, because all that other stuff doesn't, have, it doesn't mean anything, because our vision and our focus and our desire is in the character of Christ, that we would be conformed to his image. So he's pleading in the character, he says the name, he's pleading in the character of the name or the character of Jesus Christ that they speak the same thing. Well, that's what's going to change the situation. And that's only going to, the only thing that's going to change. When the Spirit of God comes and he moves, what's the purpose behind him moving? You know, what's the purpose behind all this? Well, to edify the body, yes. But see, he wants to get a hold of your heart and my heart. He wants to bring about a surrender and a submission to him so that through your personal circumstances and the things that you deal with daily, he can move in such a way to bring the name of the Lord Jesus Christ or the character of the Lord Jesus Christ into you. So now if he's doing that, if that's, that's an ongoing process, if that's the ongoing process in your life, then if you're in a church where they're quarreling and bickering and there's a division, I, I wish that this person would sit down so that person could teach or preach. You see, Paul says, if that is there, and that was there in, in, in the Corinthian church, he says... You are carnal, carnal, carnal. And so he pleads in the character of the Lord Jesus Christ. So the Lord always has the answer for us. You know, where we are, uh, what we need. See, we think we need this, that. We, we have all these things we think we need. You know, I need... The, you know, more teaching, I need this, I need that. What we need is the Holy Spirit working in our lives to produce what he wants to produce. Now, it doesn't matter if we are, you know, we're saying, well, uh, I don't think I'm progressing at all. And, and many times, uh, well, with some people that may be the case, but many times, 
the working of the Spirit many times is not seen by us. I'm talking about personally. Sometimes it's easier for, for me to see the working of the Spirit in someone else's life than in my life. Uh, it's easier for me to see the grace of God placed upon someone else when I'm seeing them than upon myself. But that's fine. That's fine. The point is this, that we walk with Him and allow the Spirit of God to work in our lives so that this name or this character and the authority comes and is placed within so that you will walk and have something in the future that you never thought you could have. And I like the way the Lord works because he's very patient with us, isn't he, when we make mistakes. It doesn't matter how long you've been a Christian. You, know, you can make mistakes. And the Lord's patient. And he picks us back up and says, okay, here we are. Let's continue on. Continue on. Let's continue in the process. And so I'll leave you with that, that the name of the Lord Jesus Christ would be upon you all. Amen. Scripture has said, rivers of men.